0: Right, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play my name is ryan amon you can call me h and i'm ryan quintel you can call me q hey h thanks for
1: welcoming me to the show
0: <laughs> yeah I, I was i was speaking to there's nobody else on this conference call who else would i be talking to none, <laughs> none of the voices in my head or anything like that i only <laughs> speak to people that uh that have a chance of replying back i'm not a crazy person
1: i just realized as you did the intro um for for whatever our 200th however many episodes we've been doing this we're on 176 i believe 176 episodes all right go us i was like oh you know maybe he's been welcoming me this whole time and i have not graciously accepted <laughs> your welcome warmly so i apologize i'm i'm here to finally accept
0: this is a this is a great kind of coming of age moment for any vampire um accepting the invitation in
1: yes Yes, 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 and I, I think now I can kind of run amok, which is really exciting. <laughs>
0: That's true. What have you been? Uh, what have you been playing lately? I think it's been a little while. I, I guess we should again put in context. We are recording this before the election, so if we seem. Um unnecessarily <laughs> chipper, depending yeah. on what happens. That's the reason. If we seem appropriately relieved with the state the world is in, we don't know one way or the other at this point. But no anyways, idea. question on the table. Video games, what have you been playing?
1: What have I been playing? Um, I'll tell you what I recently purchased. I went out, you know, Hyrule Warriors, the sequel is on the way Mm, yeah. and I played Hyrule Warriors uh, the first time on Wii U and it was really at the end of anything resembling a romance. Three kingdoms or otherwise. (laughs) Exactly right. I was like, you know what, maybe I need to give Hyrule Warriors another shot. So I went out to get a copy and lo, it is nigh impossible to find. I mean, it, it's still on the eShop. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's true. Yeah. I don't know why, but for my Nintendo Switch, I've been pretty dedicated in getting things physically, just because, number one, I guess I don't fully trout. To trust Nintendo's cloud services yet, but also because uh, with two switches in the house, I just don't want to have to buy mm, copies that's twice. So that's I, a good point. Yeah. So I just give Jess cartridges that I'm you know kind of done with or not using at the time. After you lick them, of course. <laughs> After I taste them. <laughs> I, I like to, I, I pair it with a nice Chianti. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I I found myself flabbergasted. I was like, whoa, you can't get a physical copy of this game almost anywhere, at least around me. Mm. I found myself going to our old pal GameStop to pick up a used copy of Hyrule Warriors.
0: Um, yes, pre-licked.
1: Yeah, <laughs> pre-licked, um, uh, which means I can't lick it.
0: I mean, we're in a pandemic here, so. No, that's yeah, that's not a good idea these days.
1: Yeah, so I guess I'm I'm in the, in this strange space I'm going to go back to Hyrule Warriors and hopefully I, l- because I like the Switch so much more uh, than i liked like the Wii U, maybe I'll reconnect with it and then be ready for the sequel.
0: I became obsessed with Hyrule Warriors. I've played at least a hundred hours on each of the three versions. Wow. wow. <laughs> I got like deep, deep, deep into Hyrule Warriors on Wii U. I got even more into it on the 3ds because i had a new 3ds at the time otherwise it would have been unplayable and <laughs> uh i uh again just kind of you know made my way through all of the adventure maps on uh, on the switch as well there's so much to do in those games but it's it's genuinely a lot of fun it's um such a loving kind of uh embrace of the entire zelda mythos it's uh yeah really um really cool. I hope you, I hope you like it this time. Hope it sticks.
1: And I could perceive that too, the first time, like I, I definitely had that vibe of the musics here, the, uh, the graphics were fairly well rendered for the Wii U. It was a lot of kind of interesting stuff. And now I, yeah, I, how long is the game? If you spent a hundred hours with it, is it a 50 hour game or did you do a lot of replaying of it?
0: Well, so the story mode doesn't take that long to get through. It's a, fairly short story mode although they added a little bit to it in each version so it's a bit longer than it used to be but um story mode is really kind of perfunctory like the real meat of the game are in the adventure maps which if you've ever seen are kind of like uh they're kind of like grid based maps based on um the first three maps i think are based on the original legend of zelda and then there's maps based on majora's mask and uh link's awakening But, anyways, each kind of tile of a map, each screen, as it would have been in the original Zelda game, has a battle with like different conditions and different prizes you can win. And some of them are, you know, new unlockable characters. Some of them are different costumes for characters. Some of them are like consumable items that you can use elsewhere in the maps. And, uh, you know, sometimes there's hidden items that you can only unlock by using all the secrets are hidden in the same place as they were in the original Legend of Zelda. And so Mm -hmm. if you knew where the bombs went in Legend of Zelda, then you would use a bomb in that square and it would unlock like a secret, you know, item for you to unlock. And so it's just like a really, really compelling, really addicting way to kind of wind your way through these classic maps and uh, fight a whole bunch of battles. But yeah, I mean, and there's so much variety in what they do there. Like the story mode is okay. Yeah. You know, I expect it's going to be better in the second one because that's kind of like the, the meat and potatoes of the experience from what it looks like so far. But like really this one, um, the first game, the adventure maps are, you know, they're exciting. They're wonderful. They're weird. They're, uh, they're pretty great.
1: Well, that's interesting because I I definitely was getting the, it's, it's, it's almost like when Nintendo partners with another company, you don't know if you're going to get the, Wow, this was really great, or this will be quickly swept under the rug, sort of stuff. And so the it, it seems like by them saying, hey, we're doing a sequel here, that it's it to me, it was almost a vote of confidence in this is stuff that we want, and this is stuff that we want to do more of. So it kind of exuded to me that maybe I'm I'm gonna be uh getting a quality product on my hands.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think you're gonna like it. It's a it's a good game. It's one that is a bit of a time suck, as I've demonstrated. But uh, that's <laughs> just I mean, it's kind of like you get out of it what you put into it. If you're not looking to put 130 hours into it, then like you certainly don't have to. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna revisit it, and I'm I'm excited to report back. Hopefully, by the time that we we record again, I'm gonna have some Hyrule storyers.
0: <laughs> All right, well. We'll check back in on that next time, but uh, for now, uh, what is your video game pitch of the week? We said it, we're, we're
1: recording before the election, so I wanted to try a game about voting, but trying to make it a little bit more, not, uh, not SimCity, not big macro voting, but rather micro voting. So imagine a Stardew Valley-like experience where you're in a small town, uh, you can play as a local uh wannabe or upcoming pollster slash political reporter you can go to town council meetings bring up points listen to the leaders uh see measures get get on a little uh, local ballot and then travel around building relationships with people talking hearing their opinions and then the the idea is you're doing all of this research so that you can take a guess You're trying to become the best predictor of elections in this small town, and uh, you, before each ballot is cast, have to sort of place your bets as to what you think is going to be
0: the outcome of the election. All right, starting the clock. So in this sense, you're kind of playing like a poll worker in a way, like... You, those, uh, those polls that come out beforehand that kind of predict which way elections are going to go.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I'm, uh, yeah. Ex- so I guess the local Stardew equivalent of, uh, a Nate Silver <laughs> or something like that.
0: Okay. So yeah, interesting. So, um. So you're not actually kind of uh, looking to change the way that the election is going in any way. You're not out there putting out ads or you're not there trying to change people's minds. You're just there to kind of report what's happening.
1: That was my initial thought. I do like the idea. Um, I mean, uh, you're kind of operating maybe a little bit in fantasy fallacy world if we say uh, debate me, bro, and I'll, ch- I'll change your mind on this. But, um, you know, maybe there's something there.
0: It would be really cool if this could incorporate, you know, some of the different uh, tools that these people actually use to tabulate their predictions and stuff like that uh, and can really teach and kind of demystify some of that process. You know, it seems like it seems so like kind of ethereal in a way, like whenever I see those numbers come out. The only thing that I know is like, well, they didn't ask me. So like, how do I, like there's, I don't know, it doesn't always feel like there's a lot of transparency into the process of collecting the numbers and making the predictions. If we gamify it, this might be a good way of like really kind of educating about the process.
1: Yeah. So I, one of the things that I do, I think that that could be actually really cool in terms of being able to like find some sort of, maybe you have a little home set up or, or, a a really offline version of modeling software and abacus or something. I don't know mm-hmm. where you're in the same way that the house of representatives, they literally are trying to count the votes. Um, and you're trying to keep these votes under check in some way where you're like, okay, well by my count, I think it's this. And uh, then the vote comes out and you get to find out just how close you were to the whole thing.
0: Would this be kind of like a fantasy country that you're following? Or would it be based on actual United States and following actual kind of voting habits? Because that could kind of give people an advantage.
1: Yeah, I think you'd almost want to perpetually have this small town in that impossible swing state territory where, you know, what you actually have to do is go out day by day. You only have so many hours in a day and you want to have those conversations with people to find out, hey, what do they think of the current law? Or have they heard about what's on the ballot? Are they happy with how the mayor's been doing that sort of stuff and trying to find ways to weave in a story about people's opinions. And I think you could use it as a tapestry to show to tell the tales of the type of voters that there really are. Right. Whether these people are undecided, whether these people are completely dejected with the system. Right. These are all true uh, in reality. And I think it'd be interesting to find characters that are stand-ins for all the experiences that voters can have in a, in a democratic system.
0: Going back to the kind of original point that we were talking about here, how do these numbers come to be? You know, are they talking to people on their way out of primary polls at polling stations? Are they mailing people or contacting people via phone? Like, What, what would be the experience that we would be essentially emulating here?
1: That's a good question. Now that you say that, I think that you could maybe, in the same way that Stardew ends up getting quite complicated as a management sim, I think you could simulate multiple avenues for collecting data. So whether or not you um, find yourself one week slowly recruiting a small group of volunteers that are (laughs) going to different locations throughout the day, and if you have volunteers signed up on different days of the week, then you don't actually have to make as extensive rounds or spend your energy trying to get as many people as possible, but rather go more deeply on an issue with, you know, select individuals. but. I do think one thing that like Stardew does is you get tired just from walking around. I think you need to almost get tired from conversation (laughs) in this game of like, you just get tuckered out talking to people because, you know, pollsters must.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that seems pretty, uh, pretty true to my experience as well.
1: True story. I had a, I had a woman call me, a sweet, sweet, sweet old lady. And I, I said to her, before she hung up, she was asking me questions about my phoning. And I, before she hung up, I said, hey, thank you so much for calling me, and I appreciate that you volunteered for someone. And she she was shocked. <laughs> she, she was this little old lady saying, oh, oh, something nice. So I do think that there's maybe some way to play with that expectation of, you know, maybe one day there's a way to call a bunch of people on the phone um, and see if you get hang-ups or see if people... Uh, I love the idea of creating a character who's perfectly nice in person, but chews you out all the time on the phone. That feels like almost a Zelda character or something.
0: Okay. So these would actually be like reoccurring people. This wouldn't just be kind of like nameless, faceless. Like they would be people that you would kind of get to know over time then?
1: I think so. Yeah. And then you, you know, you start to learn, uh, you, you'd be able to learn in advance if you go to a city council meeting, you're like, well, so-and-so they're not going to like this.
0: I like that. It reminds me of uh, Parks and Recreation, where you would see kind yeah. of the same townspeople in various settings.
1: At Paunch Burger. There should be a little corporate uh, entity <laughs> in the town too that that counter campaigns and gets people to change their mind. And you gotta try and uh, you're both at war with uh, the Paunch Burger stand-in. And I think uh, knowing that you can maybe get answers out of people with. Uh, a tie-in or a coupon to the local. <laughs> hmm,
0: interesting. <laughs> yeah. Ways to you uh, have to navigate like endorsements to get more visibility of your post station versus something that would actually drive people one way or the other. Yeah, right. Exactly.
1: Now, I, I kind of wrote this down because I'm, I remain kind of unsure about it as a concept, but I was thinking that you could potentially have some mechanic where if you get popular enough or enough influence that... You have the chance of kind of running for office in this game, but I don't know if that's just, you know, uh, too far.
0: Yeah, I mean, that would be a very different type of simulation entirely. It would be, you know, very different. Uh, I mean, there are games that are like that, games that kind of simulate race for political office. So, you know, we could definitely look into that. But if we really want to focus now on at least this first portion of the game where you're just kind of reporting data and trying to make it as reliable as possible, what would be like, what would be the end game in a way? Like like you are hoping to get a correct prediction, but if you do, do you just get like a nice victory screen or do you get what currency that you can carry over into your next run? Like what are we working towards essentially? Oh, that's interesting. You know, I think as your
1: prediction rate goes up and down, I like the idea of you know keeping this thing feeling like it is truly a small town and the stakes are kind of low but what if you just have a little local newsletter that you put out and and people subscribe to it and your subscribers go up and down and of course the the money that you're making goes up and down
0: uh, along with it okay so what do you do with the uh, money if that's the kind of currency that the game is going to be rewarding you with
1: i think now once you introduce the idea of an economy of any sort, then you can very easily start to transition into things like what tools you have access to, to pull people, potentially how many volunteers you can hire, because you can buy supplies and stuff with them. You can, you know, uh, you, you just have a lot more access to accomplish something. So I do think that there's the idea of resources and and what ones you have access to are totally based on your subscribers and your subscribers want Mm -hmm. you to, to be right
0: okay so you can improve your polling uh, your reliability in a way ultimately like ultimately the goal being kind of a one-to-one you know recount of, of what the the voting actually turns out to be is that kind of a exciting enough end game that like once people get 100% accuracy then like that feels like a satisfying game experience
1: that's a good question I, I'm feeling unsure about that but I I might I might be in the space where <laughs> I wonder if there's a moment where you kind of get that Castlevania feeling of now the whole game's upside down, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, the end game actually has you being able to like propose ballot measures or something like that. I don't know something and transitioning
0: where- into running for office using the money that you had gained from your. Uh, predictions and using some of the knowledge that you would gain of the people like that's uh, that's kind of an interesting way to take this as well
1: yeah i'm just i'm wondering in my mind if just being right about polls would make one a good politician actually it probably would but not in in the way that you'd you'd necessarily want that person to be good
0: uh that's enough time on that one we've gone a bit over so let's uh let's give it a name We have things like caucus we
1: have maybe there's something with straw poll. I know straw poll. Or polls. you could do
0: uh, clock the vote as a way of uh, you're tracking what's going on. Clock the vote. Kind of like the Rock the Vote campaign.
1: What do they call like a? It's it's almost like you want like Democratown
0: or something like that.
1: Because <laughs> you want to say this is like a a mini simulation within. Let me just quickly Google.
0: Voteland. Uh,
1: I'm looking at. Thesaurus and political words. This is a bad move. Republic? Something about republic.
0: Republic commandos. <laughs> yeah.
1: I wonder if you call it Commonwealth.
0: Commonwealth. Interesting. Is a Commonwealth a democracy or is it another type of government? I don't use that it's word often a enough to
1: political or geographic area. Okay. Well, I think that uh kind of works. It's, it's not not exactly exciting <laughs> to be to be fair. You know, I'm from Massachusetts, and we call ourselves the Commonwealth of Massachusetts.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. If if you feel like that, uh, if you feel like that, you know, means something to to you who have you know lived in places that do use that term. It's just like it's a kind of a meaningless term to me. But if it means something to you, then I'm okay with it. Wow. There is a crazy cat screeching out my window. Can you hear that? Heard a little bit. Oh my god. Colorado cats. All right, sir. I think you owe me a pitch now. Okay. So what I want to do is a game where you are searching for extraterrestrial life using somewhat realistic tools that actual astronomers would use. So I was just thinking about like, I have that image in my mind of, uh, I don't even know what they're called, those, um gosh, the, the word is almost there, but those, those tools that kind of track waveforms and you turn the knob to try to match the waveforms together. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's commonly like a mini game i feel like oscilloscopes is that it (laughs) but anyways like those types of tools you know i don't know what nasa actually uses to kind of study uh space-bound radiation and vibrations and signals and stuff like that but uh i I would love to kind of put you yourself in a situation where you are potentially you know looking for first contact with aliens and um, yes uh, but really kind of grounded environment (laughs)
1: <laughs> I like that. So I I was, uh, as you said, that I kind of started Googling around, and the best I could come up with is frequency knob. I think it's an
0: oscilloscope that I was thinking of.
1: Oh, an oscilloscope. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, we are using the oscilloscope to, what, detect alien communication?
0: I don't think that would be the only tool that you have available to you. You'd have radiation maps and all sorts of, like, different, I don't know what NASA or whoever would use to try to make contact like radio signal boosters. And maybe you could even launch satellites as relay points to try to make contact with aliens out there or to search for light discrepancies or radio signals in different quadrants. Like it's all about like using earthbound tools to try to kind of narrow down your search, launching something into space to try to get more kind of sensitive tools closer to these, uh, kind of interesting areas where you might find something.
1: So one of the things I I like about the idea of this almost lab simulation environment sort of thing is the idea of the, the idea of you kind of out on the hunt. You are, you have to know what each tool is good at or capable of in order to, maybe correlate things that you're finding. So if you do see something on your, you know, your infrared uh, sky monitor or something like that, and it seems to be in one particular area, do you know how to like go over to your telescope and actually pinpoint that area you're supposed to look at? Um, And if you're not quick enough with those and know your way around the tools enough that maybe you miss your opportunities, these are almost like UFO sightings, right?
0: Yeah, I wonder if, uh, UFO sightings could kind of play into this as well. You know, you, you'd assume that most UFO sightings are either kind of mistakes by common people, or I don't know what it is, but like UFOs always seem to appear over like isolated farms and people that seem a little suspect anyways, (laughs) not always the case, but oftentimes. And so you, you wonder like how many of these leads actually lead to anything useful, but, uh, yeah, I don't know if that would complicate things. If if the primary task of the game is looking for traces of life light years away, whether, you know, that would, it would be useful to have, uh, to be able to kind of follow well, what's happening on Earth as well.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and, and you kind of, I think what you want to do is have a system of, of checking and validating whether or not something is true, right? Like something where, like, a claim is uh, there's thinking that you intercepted something, and then there's that thing being uh, verifiable in some way.
0: I think it's just if you start noticing patterns in space, and I've kind of seen this done before, is whenever they detect something that seems like a pattern uh, that would come from either somebody trying to communicate outwards or, you know, just like trying to determine what is a pattern that originated from intelligence versus something that is a naturally occurring phenomenon that we're just picking up on. It's kind of like the longer that you see the pattern go on, the more and more confident you can be that it is of intelligent origin until, you know, you never kind of 100% confirm until you can, you know, fly over there and shake hands with something. But but you get down to like, you know, there is a 0. 0.0005 chance of this being a random occurrence. Yeah,
1: I, I like that. So let's say that there's some way for me to, to very quickly sort of jump around and to all these different instruments, see if something is a pattern you're, maybe there's some sort of notation tool or something where you can track things over time. Mm -hmm. And then that, I I love the idea of (laughs) so many sci-fi movies to have that great moment where actually this it's kind of a trope where someone like realizes something is Morse code, right? Mm, uh, yeah. <laughs> they're like, Oh my God, they've, they've been talking to us this whole time or something like that. And then, um, what they're saying or how they're saying it, like arrival and that sort of stuff. I, I love that feeling of somebody's trying to communicate with you, but you don't know yet how they are attempting to communicate. So I'm wondering if uh, I'm wondering if there's some sort of language decoding aspect of this as well.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you know the way that uh, there are kind of code breaking uh, games out there and puzzles, even stuff you would see printed in a newspaper where you have to you know, break codes. I mean, like games that are intentionally set up that way, not people finding anagrams and stuff hidden in the news. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I guess everything's a game if you are paranoid enough. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I think that there's, yeah, there's a kind of fun side of that as well. And like, we don't know what language these aliens would be talking in. So sometimes it could be kind of like a rival, like trying to figure out as you go, like what, uh, how it communicates, how it thinks, what different, you know, things could mean depending on how they're commonly paired together. I don't know. It, it's such like a, It seems like such like a meaty subject matter that like, I don't even know where to start entirely.
1: I think one thing that you could just make very simply is when you identify something, being able to record it in some way. And once you have something recorded, being able to process that recording through multiple techniques, I think that that to me is in the, in the ballpark of like, archiving slash uh, being able to refer back to something in such a way that you don't ever really lose progress, but you're almost always recording things and adding them to an archive and maybe you are, can you imagine if it was actually extremely rare to find something of of import and to do
0: yeah, the, definitely
1: yeah, the technology thing of just sick all your you know hundreds of thousands of people who might be playing this game on it and see if any of them
0: can find this yeah and how how heartbreaking must be to kind of follow a bad lead and uh how even you know if you if you kind of built your understanding off of something that ended up being a kind of random chance how it could kind of poison your your chances of understanding something legitimate in the future because you've just kind of clouded your set with bad data.
1: Yeah. And then you could almost add, I think, gosh, am, am, I, am I thinking of Her Story or there was a game like that that really only al- allowed you to, it had like 1990s computer tech and mm-hmm. you could only hold maybe a couple of clips, sort of temporary storage to refer back to. So I do like the idea if, if you bring this backwards enough in time that maybe you're using like tape drive backups or something, and there's only so many things that you can hold on your computer um, all at once.
0: Yeah, that does sound interesting. Yeah, I mean, this could be kind of like, uh, it could progress, because these studies must take decades to actually come up with anything that, uh, you know, that's verifiable, you know, has that kind of staying power. It would be interesting to have to start on kind of like 1960s technology, then as the years go on, your technology gets better and better as well. But maybe you have to find certain results to get the funding to continue your operations. So there's always a little bit of a gamble. The farther you get, almost in kind of a roguelike kind of way, like the easier it gets in a way, or at least the more tools you have available to you. Like, but it finding that initial lead um, in such a way that you inspire confidence in the people who can give you that funding uh, is, is the real challenge. So what to you
1: does, what does like the loop look like, or what does the success state look like?
0: Uh, I think eventually once you detect life, then you can kind of be given like a second phase where you go and actually make contact with them, which would have a whole other kind of, uh, set of challenges associated with it. Um, but I think it'd be a kind of a cool way to, to take it. But, uh, we're out of time. We're not going to be able to explore that. Um, mm. Let's go ahead and give it a name. I mean, First Contact does really kind of bring all of this together in a way.
1: You're not going to get any argument from me, a Star Trek fan, over First Contact, because it's a very <laughs> notable Star Trek movie. It's but, true. Uh, <laughs> I, my brain also went for the the truth is out there as well. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I do like First Contact, though. I
0: think, uh, yeah, both, uh, both have their nice television tie-ins
1: if kojima was directing it then really only one player ever got to make first contact and everybody else is uh, left out to lurch
0: that's true all right let's get to the community and see what all of you had to submit this week this one comes from ashton herman who says hey h and q i've been replaying skyrim this year since elder scrolls rpgs scratch an itch for me that nothing else can i lump fallout 3 and new vegas in there too Despite having sunk many hundreds of hours into the series, and Skyrim in particular, I still found myself getting totally hooked on the game. Elder Scrolls games feel immersive in a way that few other open world games just... uh, Sorry, in a way that other open world games just can't. Hmm. There are virtually no impassable barriers, no buildings that are just hollow assets, no objects that can't be interacted with. One of the drawbacks of their design is, however... That everything, especially characters in the game, feel very sim-y. Elder Scrolls RPGs are very very wide, but they feel shallow in this respect. So all of that was just a lot of build-up to a very vague pitch. How could we design an open-world RPG similar to the Elder Scrolls games, but with more of a narrative and character depth, um, something like The Witcher or Red Dead Redemption? right, starting the clock. I mean, I feel like I can just kind of come out and say that, like, you should be playing CRPGs instead, if that's what you're looking for. <laughs> uh, games like um, like Divinity, Original Sin, or, you know, um, Planescape Torment, or, you know, these these types of games tend to be isometric, tend to be kind of mouse-controlled. These are the games that really kind of go into absurd levels of depth. Um, Baldur's Gate 3 was just released, uh, that might... Really scratch this itch. It's you know not first person anymore. It doesn't have that same level of immersion. But uh, these mm-hmm. worlds are so well realized. I think because they get a little. Well, I want to say they get a little bit of an easier pass on asset creation because it's all isometric. But Divinity Original Sin Two, Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate Three are all kind of three D fully modeled. You can zoom in to right up next to the character and everything still looks fantastic. So, you know, it seems less so these days. Now they're just getting those levels of depth on AAA levels of environments with, uh, you know, just the sweat of their own back. But uh, in in the old days, it seemed to be that like these were concessions that you would make to doing some things that were more kind of narratively daring. So yeah, there's some interesting titles out there, but let's find a way to bring that level of depth into a first person or third person you know kind of action rpg type of environment
1: that was the exact thing i, I was actually going to sort of push and challenge you on and i think maybe Ashton's trying to touch upon here which is i i think i'm in a similar camp in it that everything that a crpg promises seems to be 100% the type of things that i'm looking for in a video game but i find myself mm-hmm. Like with Divinity, just the just the locomotion around the world, something something misses for me. And I, I wish I could be more specific than that, but I struggle to be.
0: Fair enough. A lot of them operate on kind of the RTS style of of locomotion where you click somewhere, the character walks there. Yes. And so in a way you do feel a little bit divorced from your character in that you are telling somebody to do something external to themselves instead of inhabiting the character and truly role playing in the way that you would in a Skyrim where you are yourself walking to all these places.
1: Right, yeah, I think that that's that's a good observation. So so I'm I'm kind of trying to think about like how does one add that CRPG depth? And I know that we're we're about to enter a new generation of consoles, right? And so much of what games design looks like is heavily influenced by well, just how powerful the hardware of the, at the time is going to be. And we're about to take a leap in CPU performance for the first time in six, seven years. And CPUs are good at running simulations and crunching numbers and doing things with all the sort of cores you have access to. So I'm trying to think about in the way that I've originally played, um, many of us played Oblivion on 360, mm-hmm. the idea of walking into this world and people are walking around and seemingly going about their day. And I, I think I remember Todd Howard being on stage and saying, look, these people have lives. I mean, they done, they didn't, right? But <laughs> uh, that was kind of the promise of that era of gaming. And so where do you think that type of stuff kind of belongs or, or, or should be?
0: I think I've delivered this pitch specifically on the show before, so I'm not going to go Fully into it here, but like I've always dreamed of, you know, getting to the point where we can have kind of a Grand Theft Auto style game where each character is kind of procedurally generated with like a life that they live and like a story that is specific to them. And instead of having a main character, you would kind of inhabit the life of a random character and there would be some sort of a narrative conceit, something for your character to accomplish. You know, you would get out there, you would go through the kind of regular Grand Theft Auto, you know, meeting other characters and doing crimes and shooting people or whatever it is that gets your character to where they need to be. You know, they have those ambitions kind of like the Sims do, Um, Mm -hmm. but it would be like a permadeath system so that once your character is killed or if you get into a bad enough traffic accident or something, then like that character is dead. The story that you are following is you know, gone essentially. And you would just move into another random character in the map. And, uh, I thought that would be such like an interesting way of like getting people invested in the character that they're role-playing and giving real consequence to their death. If you find a story that you really like, then you want to see it through to the end. And so all of these, like all of these, uh, these deaths defying stunts, you know, when you're trying to jump a motorcycle from a mountaintop onto a top of a train like you would in grand theft auto 5 that in grand theft auto 5 is seen as more of kind of an annoyance like if i miss the jump then i just have to go all the way back and either respawn Mm. at the hospital and drive all the way back there or wait for the next train to come by like it's yeah it's just annoying whereas if this is your character and if you get them killed then that character is gone in the same way that like a DND character is gone, then like that attaches some real stakes to it. So I feel like we're getting there. You know, the nemesis system from a uh, Shadow of Mordor was like a step in the right direction of getting giving characters like a kind of like a game-spanning sense of progression, uh even when they're not on screen and even if they're not the main character, the sense that like the Game world remembers who everybody is and gives them each identities that can change and be shaped by the events of the game. And then uh, Watchdogs Legion might kind of push it uh, another step in that direction, where characters are essentially procedurally generated and uh, can join or leave your dead set group at any time. And uh, if they die in the mission, if you have permadeath mode on, then uh, that character is essentially gone. You have to go recruit somebody else. So I feel like we're getting close.
1: I heard, we're, yeah, we're approaching that future. I heard, I don't know if this is true, but one of the things I did hear was that um, Watchdogs Legion even has some kind of mechanic where you can do something and, say, get someone hurt or um, try and, uh, you know, you're recruiting somebody, maybe a mission goes wrong or something, and then later on you encounter a character in the world and you find out, like, that was their relative. They now have a negative reaction, a negative opinion of you because of how you know what you did in the past. So that to me, like, almost hit me like, wow, that seems like actually next gen. That you know, that actually seems like a new type of now. It could also be you know a mile deep, uh, or or a mile wide, and an inch deep, like Ashton's talking about with these games. But the idea of I think the Elder Scrolls games especially feel fragile when you just simply kill a character, just absolutely delete that character. And uh, then, like, does the world actually react to that? Does, was that person related to someone? Did they have a family? Why are they gone? That sort of stuff. And I do think that, I do think in terms of, like, what he's talking about in this email, how can you design an open world r p g both narrative and character depth? I think everybody knows somebody, especially in kind of a a small world, so potentially doing things with really complex relationships, kind of the nemesis system on steroids, if you will
0: yeah we're um so we're getting some interesting directions. We only have a little bit of time left, so let's uh let's see if we can wrap this back into a like a tone, a setting, like something that we can something we can picture in our minds. So we have kind of a living world of people. Um, I think if we set this in medieval times, at at least I always think about like either the world population being smaller back then or something, but it seems like you could realistically like come up with a life for every character to lead. You know, you're not working with like New York City levels of people, you know? So like, I would, I would love to kind of keep this medieval in a way and, uh, you know, have a few maybe villages and maybe like a bigger city center and then the farms on the outskirts and stuff, kind of a Witcher style world as well.
1: Would you allow for the economy to collapse from the things that you've done?
0: You know, and then that can affect the, uh, lives of future characters that you could play or other people and- you know, I just love like all these systems and top of systems that could all affect each other it would be super interesting, a nightmare to QA, but uh, <laughs> for sure, be a, make for a really interesting play experience.
1: I think it's what you just pointed out to about the QA is exactly why we're more likely to see almost an independent team tackle something like this before a triple A one. And, and because like, if you can do it in a space where buggy is, is actually kind of okay then uh you're you know potentially you unlock some new type of experience for everyone.
0: I feel like we do see this kind of thing from time to time in like the text-based game world but uh again there's um it's a uh, quite a barrier of just like amount of content regardless of the size of the studio that's producing this. So anyways, interesting ideas. That's all the time that we have. Let's go ahead and wrap it up and give it a name.
1: Medieval Village some some episodes, the names are the biggest struggle here.
0: I know. It's like every episode. You could do, and I don't know if this is, I don't know if this would be offensive, but you could do cast apart with like C-A-S-T-E to uh, signify the <laughs> different kind of social rungs in the society. Yeah. Cast apart. Is it cast apart? Is that or- insensitive since there are still societies that have caste systems? I don't know. <laughs>
1: Probably, uh, although I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you one way or the other. What if it was? I think you're onto something like that. Is there a pun to be had here? Is there like spellcaster or something like that?
0: I mean, cast apart is kind of a, a pun already. Cast away, uh, casting couch. <laughs> what? Oh my god! It's a cast
1: system, right? Mm-hmm. So you're talking about a whole cast system. You're you're talking about a system. You're not necessarily talking about any one person or, or group on that, right. on that system.
0: I think you're saying, okay, we'll go with cast apart. That was Ashton Herman who emailed that one in. Thank you very much for submitting that. And if you would like to submit a video game idea of your own, please do so by going to playwrightcast.com <laughs> slash pitch. Uh, not, that's the thing we got to clarify. Everything is spelled incorrectly in our, our name. It is not playwright like the person who writes plays. It is spelled playwright like the two words themselves. Uh, You can email us playwrightcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at playwrightcast in all of those instances. It is spelled P-L-A-Y-W-R-I-T-E-C-A-S-T.
1: Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World off the album, Blue Noise. It's very good. Go listen to it along with the other great shows on the Cane and Rinse Network, like Cane and Rinse Sound of Play and, of course, The Sausage Factory. You do want to know how the sausage is made in that case.
0: All right, let's, uh, let's wrap this one with a redacted game. It is your turn to pitch something.
1: Okay, uh, my redacted game for you has a massive description, so I'm I'm only going to start with the first Big chunk of it. Redacted and his pals learn fun, wacky Redacted after discovering a strange Redacted and a mystical Redacted called the Redacted. Oh boy. Familiar characters from the Redacted universe will return to this installment and some new ones will appear. Players must redacted, fast paced sets of Redacted changing the way they redacted the redacted each time. As they do, they'll unlock more redacted and redacted. The redacted team took an idea so wacky, it can only be made with the latest redacted. Redacted. (laughs) And finally, the last statement here. Redacted is back with a whole new set of redacted.
0: Okay, I don't know if any of that was helpful. Um... (laughs) All right, so so what are the actual details that we have to work with here? We have a male main character. Yes. Who who has friends.
1: (laughs) Who has friends. It's wacky.
0: Right, wacky. So his friends might not be the same friends that were in previous games, though. It seems like there's like a mix of new and old faces. Yes, that's true. Okay. Uh, Let's see. What what other what other kind of concrete information do we have to work on at this point? Yeah, let me help
1: you here. Um okay. we know that there are fast-paced sets of something okay. that familiar characters from the redacted universe, so there's potentially a universe of of characters here to pull from. Hmm. It's an idea so wacky it could only be made with the latest redacted, which I think is Something <laughs> I could here. I will give you one additional sentence that might, okay. but that's also partially redacted. When Redacted stumbles upon a strange device called a Redacted, he and his friends use it to learn new Redacted that are as fun as they are
0: wacky. Okay, all right, using a device to learn new things. So, all right, is this world that all of these characters come from a Video game world, or is it like an extra media?
1: Uh, this is a world I would say from video
0: games. Okay, you would say though,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i am pretty definitively.
0: Is this an odd world game? It is not I'm trying to think of like series that have been running long enough to really kind of warrant that kind of a description, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, With a singular male main character as well. So this would be somebody who... Wait a minute. Read the description again. I've got something in my mind that might be interesting.
1: Sure. uh, Redacted and his pals learn fun, wacky Redacted after discovering a strange Redacted and a mystical Redacted called the Redacted. (laughs) Maybe one of those words doesn't need to... uh to be redacted and a mystical device called the redacted okay all right. all right uh familiar characters from the redacted universe will return to this installment and some new ones will appear players must clear fast-paced sets of redacted changing the way they redacted the redacted each time would you like some metadata
0: mm, let's see if i if i throw out a second guess could i I don't, I don't want to <laughs> strain myself with one and... additional guess. Um, <laughs> I here... want to say something now because it would be really impressive if I got it right. But yeah, at the that's same true. time, I'm not confident enough to put my weight behind it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's worth a shot. I will I will give you uh, all the cascading hints that you would have received in the interim after,
0: after your second guess. Okay. I'm going to say that this could be Crash Bandicoot 4. It is not Crash Bandicoot 4. <laughs> Here's some
1: some metadata. It is a platform exclusive game. Okay. It is the number eighth best game of its platform from 2007. Okay. The number seventh most discussed game of its platform or 2007 and number twenty one on most shared. And it has a metascore of
0: eighty three. Mm, okay. All right. So I'm being pulled in the direction maybe the Jack and Daxter series. I, I, I will
1: give you this one additional hint. And I don't think this gives away too too much. Okay. But it says familiar characters from the redacted universe. Mm-hmm. I would say that this universe is tied directly to another universe.
0: Uh, okay. I don't it's know it's what almost
1: that means. a subgenre of that universe.
0: Oh, gosh. Okay. So there's. So are we talking like not this specifically, but like how. Pokemon Mystery Dungeon is a subgenre of the Pokemon universe, or is that kind of feeling we're getting here?
1: Yes, uh, a a little bit. Like that's kind of um, I I I yes, kind of. Like you could almost say that. Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles is like an offshoot of the Final Fantasy XYZ universe, but <laughs> but but taken in, take into account that they seem to be referencing a specific character. So it's really this character's universe, which is a subgenre of a greater universe.
0: Okay. I I have another idea. Yeah, ah, but it's not platform specific. Don. <laughs> All this uh this conflicting data. There's so much information out there at this point. Can we get like a like a 10 and a 0? We absolutely can. Um
1: <laughs> Okay. This is uh, a zero review. I find no enjoyment whatsoever in this. It's painful to look at. How can I enjoy a game regardless of the controls if I can't stand the graphics? That's a
0: zero. It's kind of a controversial graphic scheme then.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just scanning through one of these 10s to make sure it doesn't give away too much. (laughs) Okay, I think this is mostly okay. Uh, Only, (laughs) this is from Joseph V, who gave it a 10. Only a loner in a basement with a predetermined mindset could possibly call this game a waste of money. It's an absolute blast. Gamers in my home love to get competitive with this game. Non-gamers in my home end up laughing so hard that they hold their sides in pain and wipe tears from their eyes, even those who aren't playing. And I'm talking about social adults, not little children. This game is anything but boring. If you don't like this game, you don't like laughter.
0: Oh my gosh. All right. So it's a very funny game.
1: (laughs) Yes, I would say so.
0: Oh, let's see. Oh, boy. A sub-series within a grander series mm. from 2007.
1: That is a platform exclusive.
0: Platform exclusive. 2007 was the... uh that was like the beginning of the Xbox 360 era. Am I getting my dates right there anyways? Um, so 360, PS3, Wii. 360,
1: PS3, Wii. I would say it definitely is one of those platforms.
0: I was trying to think about like... What you know? What things looked like at that time? What do we have as far as platform exclusives? Uh, so The three sixty. is a very popular platform exclusive on this platform. Very popular.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, you know, I'm saying very popular, very well regarded. I guess is what I should say.
0: Interesting that you would make that distinction. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. All right. I've told you the Metascore. Yeah. I think it was like an eighty four or something like yeah, that. Yeah, eighty three. Right. Oh, right Um. Let me just kind of think through at the time, 2007, roughly what was going on as far as platform exclusives go. So we had, uh,
1: now let's see,
0: I, uh, I'm ready for this portal was, you know, a thing that was funny, but it wasn't a platform exclusive. Uh, what, what was funny? What were you saying? I,
1: I am willing to, to give you the rating of this game
0: okay the the rating like the ESRB
1: rating (laughs) ESRB rating
0: okay all right E10 plus okay that's seems all right
1: right. (laughs) it wasn't too helpful I guess
0: from your reaction okay is this uh is this uh, like I don't know what the actual titles were but like Rayman and the Raving Rabbids Oh,
1: so so, so close a miss though it is not it is not a rayman game it's not a rayman game okay the very the problem is is the very first word of the description gives away the whole code <laughs> wario and his pals learn fun wacky moves oh. after discovering a strange book and a mystical device called the form baton okay familiar characters from the wario universe <laughs> Interesting. All right. <laughs> Return to this installment, and some new ones will appear. Players must clear fast-paced sets of micro games, mm-hmm. changing the way they hold the Wii remote each time. So that one was do, what
0: smooth moves? Smooth moves. Yeah, you did. All right.
1: <laughs> you didn't know your WarioWare <laughs> titles. I didn't know if this one was going to be too hard. I thought you may have. No, that's, that's
0: a good one. It's a good one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hey, you know, if I could count on anyone having command over his warrior titles, it would be.
0: <laughs> I uh, I actually, I probably only, I think I've only owned one of the warrior wares in my time, but like I've at least been, you know, aware of them for long enough that like I really should have uh, picked up on that. But yeah, I, I, I can see all the pieces fitting together now and the the laughter and everything as well interesting this was Four. one of
1: the games where i think like press the button to pick the nose was was on there too <laughs> right i found it, it's like that, the kind of gross number out humor. three metacritic scored party game of all time really <laughs> which i question this list because it is only beaten uh, in score by super monkey ball and Super Uh Monkey Ball (laughs) 2.
0: What about like the Jackbox games or... I know. I can't think of that many party games at the top of my head. They they probably don't (laughs) have a long list to compete against, but... uh, (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's number three. Number four is Connect Party. Okay, all right. (laughs) This is a BS list.
0: The entire You Don't Know Jack series has been consistently good since the beginning.
1: I agree. Shout out to Cookie Masterson if he's listening.
0: (laughs) anyways, um, that was a good one. Yeah. That, that'll wrap it up for the day. Didn't get this one. Maybe we can pick up our winning streak again next time. Anyways, we'll, uh, we'll catch you again later. Thanks for listening.
1: Bye.